you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Around the NFL podcast is legal in the continental United States, but not Hawaii. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined by a room filled with some heroes. Chris Wessling to my left, and to his left... The great Colleen Wolf. What's up? Hey, Dan. Welcome back, (laughs) Colleen. It's great to be here. It is uh... (laughs) a... That was by request. Yeah. It is uh, a little bit jarring to be in the studio with Wes and Colleen, who did NFL Now Hit, uh, you know, on camera right before, uh, and I'm wearing a a four-year-old polo shirt, (laughs) and they're both looking like uh, Madame Tussauds wax figures. Yeah. (laughs) All made up. I have a mask on, actually. I, you both look beautiful. Take it right off. I but took my it, makeup it is off. jarring. You, you might I mean, not be able to notice. And that looks like a new jacket, Wes. I bought myself a suit when I was at the draft. Mr. Hanson. Did you really? I did, yeah. I like it. It's like my first adult suit. I'm and 41 that, years old. And I could tell um, that that's a nice shirt, too, by the thread count. Oh, you can? Yeah. Did that <laughs> from, cost you money? three feet away, you can tell it. Did that cost you it, more than $50? Yes. Okay. Colleen, how you like that? That's great. That's good analysis. <laughs> GQ, I'm available. No, I'm not. The NFL is very kind to me. Shadowy League figures. So, big show today with Colleen. We got Mark on vacation, staycation. Um, although I did see Mark yesterday. Uh, it's good to know a Brit, ha- uh, Handsome Hank, got his tickets to the Noel Gallagher show at the Orpheum downtown. And uh, we actually ran into a podcast fan, Eddie, from L.A., who we took a picture Eddie! with. Eddie! Uh, hey, oh, Eddie! We got a picture, yeah! <laughs> so, Eddie, thank you for listening. Uh, so, that was pretty cool. Um, we'll talk a little later in the show. We'll get into a little some concert experiences okay. uh, amongst the group. And, TD, you can get involved with that as well. I know you are a musical man. In, you know, in addition to being youngish Kobe and on the court. Slightly competitive. I'll be in there. All right. No. I don't know what co- competitive is. This is a competition. Well, trying to win? It's a competition. Oh, you're trying yeah, to win the best first concert. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know it was a contest. Oh, well, I lost. Yeah, yeah, mine's yeah. going to lose big time. It's like a lose-off. Um, all right, so we're going to – yeah, we'll talk about that a little later in the show. We're also going to get to 
Um, Chris Wessling, you wrote a piece that's earned wide acclaim internally. <laughs> it's only been out for three minutes. Yeah, uh, everybody telling Wes's long-form piece on the Ohio River offense, which is really what the West Coast o- offense should be known as. He wrote a great piece, and we're going to dig into that a little bit. Uh, we highly recommend you check it out. And actually, when we make this stuff up, um, the, when I make up vanity URLs, in this case there is one, nfl.com slash Ohio River Offense. Also, we're breaking new ground here. This is the first time you actually have read the article I know. before you've talked about it. That's why I'm I'm really excited to do this. Being prepared, it's almost like the show could be better. <laughs> um, and we'll also get into the uh, roster reset uh, series, which I think we touched on the AFC East uh, last week or the week before. We're hitting every division, but we're not hitting everything on the pod, but we will do the NFC West because there's some interesting stuff going on in the West. West, you also wrote that. So we're going to kind of, uh, you know, go through the great wrestling well-dressed, spent over $400 on the clothes he's wearing today in addition to the makeup <laughs> and the shaved head. Hmm. Makeup what a hair. package. <laughs> but before, you look great, Wes. Thank yeah. you. I feel good. Dan is pumping me up today. I feel great. But before before we get to any of that, we turn our attentions behind the glass. Mr. Competitive himself, TD. What's going on, guys? And uh, with Greg not being in today, I can't lie, completely milled in the money tag open today. Wasn't <laughs> I didn't even, it didn't even I make sense. Tell. How, come, how come the continental U.S. Uh, is, what was it, I, banned I, or something? Banned I, in Hawaii. Banned but what, Hawaii. what about Alaska? Yeah, what about Alaska? I know. What about Alaska's the Commonwealth? My favorite state. Of Puerto Rico. Did not factually check that when you tag. My apologies. West no definitely did. took issue with it. It I was did. weird. I was, it didn't yeah. make sense to And even, uh, you know, Money, who does such a great job, even he struggled to get through the wordiness of it. It was just clumsily <laughs> Way too long. written. Yeah. That was the, I don't, I don't know where that one came from. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's do some news. I got a few guesses. I feel bad for you. I don't think about you at all. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite moments in the history of madness. Classic Don Draper. Shout out to Don. That's no spoilers, though. I'm still like Live forever. No, you know what? I, I should spoil it just to punish you. It's like, a cultural touchstone moment, I'm like the finale, if you're old. in on the show. I know, but I had a lot of cultural stuff to Cultural touchstone. Like he was too busy. Like yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Mad Men, baby. The greatest show ever. Maybe uh, Sopranos is better, in my opinion. Uh, the Wire. I think you're sleeping on Northern Exposure. <laughs> is that the Moose show with Burt Reynolds? Burt Reynolds. Stop. All right. Let's do some news. <clears throat> we'll start with the New York Jets, who uh, we had been led to believe Todd Bowles, their new coach, had said that Geno Smith uh, was going to get the first team reps initially, but Ryan Fitzpatrick who they uh, traded for in the offseason, was going to be in the mix for the starting job, it sounded like. But then Chan Galley, the team's offense coordinator, came out on Wednesday and said Geno Smith is going to be the team's starting quarterback. Uh, he said that that's what they expected it to be, that that's always been the plan. So <clears throat> Geno, as we know, as we or I specifically, I've, I've rode that Geno coaster up and down for two years. He's gonna. It sounds like he's going to walk into the, a third year as a starter. I don't want to ride it, but I got to ride it. I got no choice. <laughs> if only it's not a train; it's a roller coaster. Fun. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah, sure, that's the other thing. It's we need uh, that's a roller coaster and a train are two different things. Was uh, yeah. Anyway, Colleen, we'll start with you on this. Are you surprised that the Jets have essentially handed Gino the job before the summer has even hit? On one hand, I'm surprised just because there there's no reason for him to do it this early for them to do it this early. But part of me 
kind of thinks that it might just be them saying it so they don't have to deal with the questions and the stories and just everything that they'll have to deal with the entire offseason and preseason. So maybe they are going to have a competition, but maybe they think that Gino's going to end up winning it. I thought um, there was a headline on this, and I think it was in maybe Deadspin yesterday that put it well, that it was Jets look at their depth chart, sigh, uh, named Geno Smith starting quarterback. Because what ultimately what you have, you have Bryce Petty, who they drafted in the fourth round. He's not going to touch the ball this year. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I seem to like a little more than some other people on this podcast, but still at the same time, he's Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know what you're getting out of him. And he's coming off a broken leg, so he's not even healthy right now. Geno Smith-West seems like the guy that's the best fit for this team, you for better or worse. You forgot about Matt Sims. Uh, Matty Boy Sims, <laughs> you know, he's a nice guy. Yeah, I think this was the surest sign we've seen yet that the regime is not going to handle things the way they did with under Rex Ryan and, and the uh, what is he the iceberg the <laughs> the glacier the glacier <laughs> yeah well I mean look at the last three years you had the circus with Tebow and Sanchez then you had uh, Sanchez and Geno Smith and then last year they could for some reason they just couldn't they didn't have it in them to tell Michael Vick that he wasn't even involved. Right in the process, and but it was still a controversy every year. Now they nip it in the bud, and it, to me, it's a no-brainer. You, this division's wide open. You're not winning a division with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He doesn't win more than six games in any season. I think the surrounding talent says take a chance on Geno. He has more talent than Fitzpatrick, and see what he can do. Well, we were talking about, it, and I don't know if you, uh, Colleen, listened to our last podcast where we try to dig through the Dalton the scale Dalton a little scale. bit. <laughs> and we Blake Bortles, I thought of Geno. We were talking about Blake Bortles, and Wes, you had said that you would rather have Bortles than Dalton because you're thinking of upside. You could say the same thing for Geno Smith. There's more upside there. So if you're really looking, every team's trying to win the Super Bowl. If you're looking for the quarterback that has the best chance to make a leap, it's probably Geno Smith over Ryan Fitzpatrick. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and he's improved his completion percentage, his touchdowns by one, but also he's lowered his interceptions, and you look at the weapons that they have, and and they brought in Brandon Marshall, they have Eric Decker, they drafted Devin Smith. Their run game last year was like third in the league with the, Chris Ivory. This is what it's going to They're going to have a really good defense. I'd be shocked if they don't have a, you know, a top 10 or even top 5 defense. And you know, to me, it's like all they have to do to get to nine or ten wins is have a quarterback that doesn't kill them. But I'm very nervous about it because Geno Smith kills the Jets. He did it for two years. Maybe he, Chan Gailey gets something out of him, Wes? Chan Gailey, I think that's his reputation. I mean, he's he got something out of Tyler Thigpen one year. <laughs> he got Ryan Fitzpatrick a $60 million contract. So I think, yeah, Chan Gailey can work wonders. He's shown that. But to me, it comes down to almost every quarterback controversy comes down to this question. Geno Smith has a chance to be the answer. Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't. Mm. Well, it's bad news for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. If Geno Smith has already beaten hey, him listen. out and they have him and Chan sort of have a history. I would not be surprised. In fact, I would expect them both to start games this year. I still feel that way. That would not surprise me. Um, the Geno scale, maybe. Maybe that will <laughs> work. Throwing it out there. This time next year. Possible. This time next year. All right, moving on. Other Jets news. Darrell Revis. Of course, won a Super Bowl with the Patriots in his one season there and then jumped uh, back to the Jets. And uh, the New York Daily News, Manish Mehta, who's been uh, on our show before, he's the uh, columnist for the Daily News, a Jets former beat reporter, spoke with Revis's first real comments about the Deflategate scandal. And uh, a little bit surprising, Revis really didn't have any sympathy for the Patriots or Tom Brady. 
Uh, this is what he said. Everybody's blowing it up because it's Tom Brady. I understand that. But if the NFL feels he did the crime or he did something, they want to penalize him, then that's that. The Patriots have a history of doing stuff. You can't hide that. Tom was there when they did that stuff in the past. Colleen, what is that all about? I love that he just comes right out and he's saying that they have a history of doing stuff. Mm-hmm. I like that that is also, like, that's the headline. Like, right, of course right. they have a history of doing stuff. But also that stuff. he really, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He didn't really hesitate to sort of throw his old team under the bus, the team that gave him a ring. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Take, really taking his hired gun role to a new level. <laughs> There's absolutely yeah. no emotion whatsoever about his time in New England. Cut that. He's a cold, cold man like uh, what um, Jeff Dang – or no, who's – Jeff Bridges. Right. Jeff Bridges in the Fabulous Baker Boys. <laughs> He's just this cold, cold man. And Baker Michelle Boys Pfeiffer, reference. One of my favorite movies. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer calls him on it. He's hmm. so cold. That's Darrell Rivas. If I fail a drug, this is a quote. I'm not saying this. If I fail a drug test, then I fail a drug test. If I get a DUI, I get a DUI, Reva said. If Tom gets caught with a DUI, DUI, it's a DUI. They're saying what he did, what he's done, then the suspension is the suspension. That is an analogy that does not work <laughs> on any level. Doesn't click. No. Sorry, Darrell. Stick to football. <laughs> what wow. What you just said is one of the most <laughs> insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. I love it, though. I mean, and, you know. I agree, a guy from Billy Madison. But I also love that Revis is all in. He's back on my – he's gangrene. Let's do it, Jets. Let's do it. Let's get back to the playoffs. And let's, uh, you know, let's get back to the game, the big one. <laughs> Great. 1969. We have not been back. It's going to be all right. I don't think this is the year, though. No, probably not. All right, moving on. Uh, big, big setback for the New York Giants and their offensive line. Uh, left tackle Will Beatty. Uh, undergoes surgery for a torn pectoral muscle. He was lifting weights, uh, working out, and he suffered the injury. This is a a big setback uh, that will keep him out probably deep into the season. And now, Wes, this puts him in a tough spot. They drafted Eric Flowers, number nine overall. He was supposed to be the future guy at left tackle. Uh, You have Justin Pugh in the mix, too. Maybe he he becomes that guy. But all of a sudden, all this effort they put into stabilizing this line for the back end of Eli's prime, now they have an issue and a major one. Well, the way I look at this, you're weaker at three positions now because you have to move Flowers to left tackle. You have to move Pugh back to right tackle. He was supposed to make guard better. And you have to put John Jerry back in at guard if that's the route they choose to go. It was a... Will Beatty was their only good offensive lineman last year. He was one of the best left tackles in the league. And now you've got a raw rookie who was supposed to be worked in slowly guarding Eli's blind side. It's not a recipe for success. Yeah, and the thing that we talked about all offseason was one of the biggest needs for them besides safety was an offensive lineman so you could move Justin Pugh inside to his more natural position. So when they've drafted Eric Flowers, this was like, oh, great. They got the safety. They did this. Like, it's perfect. And now they're going to have to have Justin Pugh outside, and that's a big liability for them. I mean, if there's any positive, and there really isn't, but at least you could say, you know, you, it's it's May 20th. The injury happens. You have a lot of time to figure out how to how to rebuild the line or or, or rebuild on the fly here. But let's face it, Manning is un, you know nobody's more durable than him. He's never missed a start, um, so you don't necessarily worry about him getting hurt. But at the same time, he's not a mobile guy. Uh, so he's not going to be escaping the rush. If you don't have a good line in front of him, he's going to throw 25 interceptions. Yeah, we Colleen and I just did an NFL Now hit, and she talked about how the Giants' offense looks really good on paper, 
But when you talk about an offense on paper, you always ignore the offensive line, and I think that's a big thing. The Giants were going to be my pick to win the NFC East, a surprise pick, but I don't think I can do that anymore. Wow. So it's it's that big a setback for you. I think it is. I think it's a huge setback because the offensive line has been an issue for them for, what, three or four years now? And I, to me, it's not fixed now. Uh, moving on to another NFC East team, uh, the Dallas Cowboys did not take a running back in the draft. They didn't uh, – re-signed DeMarco Murray in free agency, and uh, yet they have remained confident. Jerry Jones is going as far as saying that they'll get more more production this season than they did last season, so it's pipe dream time in Dallas. But that it does seem like they're still looking to tinker with the backfield. Ben Tate, who played with three teams last season, um, including Pittsburgh for a game in the playoffs, uh, is working out with the team. Uh, Tate, of course, when, when he was with Houston as the number two guy, behind Arian Foster, showed some things, but, you know, he really regressed last year as a player. But Cowboys are kicking the tires. Now, Colleen, this is almost like the ultimate test. Tate seems like if he's healthy, a good enough running back, you would think. And Jerry Jones is is very confident they have the best offensive line in years. Mm -hmm. Put Ben Tate behind that line and give him 200 carries. Is he a 1,000-yard rusher? Yeah, but is he going to be happy with it? Because that was the whole issue with him was that he was complaining about his role before. So you have Darren McFadden and you have Joseph Randall there too. So if he's not the main guy, he's not going to be happy. Wes, you're a, Dar- you're a big Darren McFadden. You're on the uh, bandwagon. It's a little lonely on it, but you're, you're not afraid of that. <laughs> you like that. Uh, does this give you any pause that they're bringing Tate in for a workout? No, I, we've talked about this on now also. You evaluate the game, not the name. Ben Tate was one of the slowest running backs in the NFL last year. That's the reason he played for three different teams. He couldn't make any plays. And running backs are a little little bit like Major League Baseball pitchers. You never know what's going to happen in a new year. Maybe their arm gets fixed. Maybe his knee's better this year. You kind of have to take running backs on a year-by-year basis. So maybe he comes in and he's a different guy. But what we saw last year, there's no reason to believe he'll even make the team. All right. Let's play the, the over-under game, Wes and Colleen. Do this every once in a while, and it's time again. Okay, Colin. Okay, all right. Yeah, are you wait, cool with what, that? what is it? What are we doing here? <laughs> you know, explain uh, this to me. <laughs> no, it's just like I could feel you judging me with your eyes, and I don't appreciate <laughs> it. Well, I'm, you're talking, so I'm looking at you. Yes. Okay. 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 <laughs> guys, all done up with your fancy outfits and your makeup and stylists. All right. The <laughs> over. Uh, yeah. Right. Very very simple. Very simple. Over under game. Darren McFadden's 2015 season. Okay. Over, under, Colleen, 200 carries. Over. Wes. Uh, let me look at his career carry. I'm oh, come say, on. You can't do that. You can't say you can't be on the bandwagon and say he's not getting too hundy. He's so injury prone. I just feel like he's going to be their only option. I don't know if Ben Tate's going to be there. I think that Darren McFadden's the guy they have to go with. I'll take the over. All right. Nice. 1,100 on yards. Colleen, over, under. Um, under. I'm t- if he's getting 200 carries, I'm taking the over on 1,100 yards behind that line. Eight touchdowns, Colleen. Over. Wow. I'll take the over. Look That's you including guys. receiving touchdowns. Uh, yeah, we'll do total touchdowns. Right. Yeah, else? I'll take the over. There you go. Yeah, I mean, if he can stay healthy, but that line is so good, and then you have Lyle Collins there now too, so it just got even. He's better. a rookie, though. I mean, I've seen plenty of high-profile rookies struggle at the um, to come into the line and mm-hmm. offensive line in the NFL, and you know, with people also, and maybe to me, I feel like the Cowboys. There's been a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, overconfidence here. 
you can love your line in May, but you get two injuries, and all of a sudden you got some guys that aren't doing the job. All of a sudden, uh, what is a super strength gets knocked down, and then what do you got? Then you got a bad running back. Line. I don't know. I just feel like we shouldn't like lock them in for whoever is in that backfield to be a stud because you don't know what's going to happen. Well, it's like if that doesn't work, and if there's injuries on the offensive line, and their running backs don't work, then everything is going to fall apart. It's going to all crumble. And Tony Romo won't play 16 games either. Right, exactly. Line. It all affects the next thing. All right, and that's what's happening. Not sure. You, not sure if you guys brought it up, but news reports say Felix Jones is uh, trying out for the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, wow. didn't he run a four nine forty at the uh, <laughs> veteran combine? I'd like to see. Hey, a, listen, he's saying TD saying don't shoot the messenger. I would like to see a foot race between Felix Jones and Ben Tate right now, Ooh. <laughs> with like the fastest guy in our newsroom Which against the two of them. Maybe Dwayne Munn against the two of them. Dwayne Munn's the fastest guy in the news. I clocked Dwayne Munn at a five two forty a couple of months ago. He's our social media guy for people at least that more speed don't work. <laughs> Five two is pretty good for a grown man, thirty five. We're clocking people in the office. Doing we went 40s? outside to the parking lot because okay. Dwayne claimed he could break a five zero, and it's one of my contentions that no man in his thirties, unless he was like a major college athlete, can break a five zero. Okay. All right. Well, five zero is much class, much faster than pe- than your average forty year old man believes. Uh, well, you have strong feelings on this, West. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Everybody thinks they're a better athlete than they are. Well, that's true. People got to let go of the dream. All right, so let's talk about the uh, projected starter series where we've moved on to the NFC West. And um, we'll start, why don't we start with the defending NFC West champions, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, You know, I look at this piece, uh, which you can see at NFL.com slash around the NFL. um, And Wes, you see the offensive line as a quote, I'm going to quote you here, glaring weak spot. Well, they, it, you're looking at a team that really has no weak spots other than the offensive line. You lose your starting center, Max Unger, in the Jimmy Graham trade, and then James Carpenter signs with your Jets, so they lose. Mm. But he's not that great either. Right, but there was a reason why he was starting over a guy like Alvin Bailey, who now has to be playing, and Max Unger was starting over Lemuel Jean-Pierre, I believe, who might be from Haiti. But anyway, um, two of these guys who – when they've played in the past, were liabilities. So now you're making them starters. They drafted a, a passel of guys in the mid-rounds, but they're probably not going to be ready to play. So you're taking a strength, their running game, and, and now it's a bit of a question mark. Uh, Colleen, when the Saints traded for Jimmy Graham, that added obviously major weapon for Russell Wilson, uh, and they didn't really upgrade their wide receiver group, which a lot of people thought was going to happen. you got Doug Baldwin there, Jermaine Curse. Uh, the number three receiver spot is up for grabs right now. Maybe Chris Matthews, who had that stud uh, Super Bowl yeah. game. But do he you came s- out of nowhere, that think- guy. Right, he sure did. <laughs> do you think that they made a mistake by not bringing in somebody in free agency or the draft? Well, I mean, I think that we saw what they've been able to do this entire time without a big wide receiver. They brought in Jimmy Graham, so that's really all they need. They have Marshawn Lynch. I'm worried about the offensive line without Max Unger. I think it is going to affect them. But also, I'm worried about Kerry Williams being their second quarterback. I mean, they get rid of Byron Maxwell and they bring in Kerry Williams. You have Richard Sherman, sure, but everybody is going to throw at Kerry Williams. Everybody. Well, old sconces. And here's, here's, (laughs) here's the thing with the Seahawks, and that's part of the reason why you know, any Super Bowl loss is devastating. Any Super Bowl loss in the final seconds is devastating. But also there's a window here with the Seahawks. And 
every year since they've gotten good now, you know, first they had all these manageable salaries, but now they're starting to have to sign these guys and they're losing people every year, especially in that secondary. Eventually, it's going to catch up with them, and th- maybe this is the year. I wouldn't bank on it. What, in I mean, the secondary at least? No, I think that – I mean, they're, most of these guys who – Richard, they're big guys. Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, they're supposed to be back by training camp. And if they've got a few weeks to get ready for the season, I, you know, maybe they come out of the gate a little slow, but they're, they're easily the best team in the division. What happens if Richard Sherman gets hurt and then you have Kerry Williams? Oh, they're in trouble. And who? I mean, that, that's a major issue if that happens. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair question. If he gets hurt or if Earl Thomas gets hurt, they're right. in big trouble. All right, let's move on to the second-place team in the division, the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, 11-5 and five last year, uh, limp to the finish because they had all sorts of quarterback issues with Carson Palmer going down with a knee uh, tear. He's going to be back. We talked about him on our last pod about where he fits in on the Dalton scale. He's kind of uh, – we kind of agreed he was in the middle there. He's probably still the guy, and you hope he stays healthy. But – West, the question to me, I never understood why they they didn't make that move at running back. Maybe a stronger push to get Adrian Peterson. Andre Ellington is not the guy to be a workhorse. Well, I th- yeah, we've we've been criticizing them for this since a year ago, that they want to give him 20 to 25 carries a game. We know his body's not going to hold up to that, so why didn't they get somebody better? I don't think that David Johnson is a guy who's going to come in and run between the tackles. And they've talked about Ellington is going to continue to be the lead back. I I see this as an issue for them. And it's been an issue for a while. The Cardinals have ranked 28th or worse in rushing yards in eight of the last 10 seasons. Look at their yards per carry, 3.3. That was last in the NFL last year. I mean, they really needed help here, and they couldn't do it. They didn't do it. So I don't know what they're going to do. It seems like they believe with Mike Upati and a healthy Jonathan Cooper, and then they draft D.J. Humphreys, that the offensive line is going to make the running game better, and I don't know if that's true. On the defensive side of the ball, they have Lamar Woodley there. Um, do you think, Wes, that Woodley's got enough in the tank to make an impact on this defense? Not from anything we've seen in the past three years. I, I know that Arians knows him because they were together in Pittsburgh, so he's taking a chance on his guy. Maybe he's envisioning the 2010 Woodley. I haven't seen anything to make me believe that Woodley is going to break out with double-digit double sacks. Yeah, and also you look at that cornerback position there too, and Antonio Cromartie, he's with your Jets now, and they didn't replace him. Yeah, and I'm curious about, you know, Honey Badger, um, how he comes back. Is he going to be all the way back this year? What, Wes, what were, you, what were you seeing by the end of last season? Was he close to the guy he was as a rookie? No, he w- they were still – he was still on a rotation basis. They were not playing in full-time snaps. Now, we did – I wrote an article a, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, that the Cardinals believe he's all the way back just in the past couple of weeks, what they've seen in practices. And I think their off their offseason moves tell us that he's going to be in that same role he was in a, a rookie where he plays safety in base packages and then moves into the nickelback role uh, on third down. So I think that they're count- – that's one of the reasons they let Cromartie go is because they're counting on Matthew to play that role. One guy I'll be keeping on, keep an eye on also is uh, Michael Floyd. Kind of a put up or shut up year mm-hmm. for Floyd, who we were we've been high. He's been on our making the leap list before. Um, obviously, there's a lot of people thought he was going to kind of succeed Larry Fitzgerald as the guy, uh, the leader of that wide receiver group. But it hasn't quite happened yet. Now you got John Brown in the mix, who's a promising second year player. Where does Floyd fit in going forward? I think Fitzgerald's still better than him, and I think John Brown's a better talent than him too. I I think Michael Floyd it seems to be 
kind of limited to that deep threat sideline guy. Um, and they've taken Larry Fitzgerald out of that role to put Floyd in it. And mm-hmm. to me, Fitzgerald's still better than Floyd. Do they put Fitzpatrick back in it? I don't think season? so. I think Arian sees Fitzgerald as a guy who plays the Reggie Wayne role and moves all over the offense. Now he plays a lot of slot. I think that's where they're comfortable with him. All right, let's move on to the 49ers who are coming off really a tough offseason, as we all know. A lot of guys out the door. And just this week they lost Justin Smith, who decided to retire after 14 seasons. We know all about their other issues. Um, Colleen, I'll start with you here. You know, you look at this offense, you're going to have no Frank Gore. You have Kaepernick, who's now, you know, starting with a new coaching staff. Uh, Carlos Hyde, Anquan Bolden, Torrey Smith's there. Quentin Patton, if you want to get excited. Where is Vernon Davis? Who is Vernon Davis anymore? I can't. Oh, my figure. gosh. Poor Vernon Davis. Yeah, what Where is this? Go? Is this a good offense? Just where are we at right now? I think that we're at a place that might be worse than last year. I mean, you bring in a new head coach. You have all of these pieces that are moving, and it's a lot like the Rams, too. They have a lot of pieces that need to sort of mesh here, and I, I don't think they're going to be better than 8-8 eight and eight next season. I can't get excited about this team. I think Yeah, I feel the same a, a way. A few of our regular listeners keep sending me Twitter messages saying don't quit on the 49ers, but what's to get excited about? I mean, they haven't have they fixed anything that was a problem last year? There are so many question marks. You lose all of your leaders. Patrick Willis, Justin Smith, Frank Gore, guys that were the backbone of this team. I, I just I don't know. They have so many question marks. You need Navarro Bowman to come back and be healthy, and we don't know if that's ever going to happen. Darnell Dockett, too, also coming off an ACL mm-hmm. injury. You need Dockett to, to be the guy he was. You need the, a new secondary to, to to gel quickly. You need Colin Kaepernick to to uh, start heading upward again in his career tra- trajectory. You need Vernon Davis, who I said earlier, when he was the, one of the top five tight ends in football two years ago. And last year, what do you have, like 300 yards receiving? How is that even possible? I, he had a back injury in the middle of the year that I – I still believe was the reason for his down season, but you're right. We don't know what he a, is right now. To me, I look at this and a lot can change. I feel like a lot of things have to go right for them to get yeah. the nine wins. And I'm wondering what Colin Kaepernick is going to look like when he comes back next season, just because of all of the stuff we're hearing about him working in the off season, about trying to be better in the pocket. And he's working with Kurt Warner and all this stuff. I mean, does it really matter? Do we really see a difference or is he just going to go back to doing what he was doing because he's good at it. But I mean, does it work? I, we see this with quarterbacks every offseason. Like, this guy's working with so-and-so now. I mean, who's, either who, you're yeah. good or you're not. I was going to say, who's the last? Because you do hear that every year. It's one of the tropes. When's the last time that actually led to the quarterback then being a different guy? When I, the, the I, can't, think of yeah, any, I can't. I can't think of any of them. All right. On to the Rams, uh, who every year people get excited about the Rams, and every year they win six or seven games, and maybe this is the different year. I know Greg – has been chirping, or to use one of Greg's uh, choices of words, honking that this is the year the Rams get over the hump and uh, become a playoff team. And we'll see. I mean, you got Nick Foles, a quarterback, uh, Trey Mason at running back. Of course, uh, they drafted uh, the rookie, uh, Todd Gurley, at number 10 overall. So he's going to be in the mix and could be a major player. Wes, Kenny Britt, who's interesting to me, I'll start there. Uh, with their number one wide receiver. Two years ago, you said he was the he looked worse than any player in football, or at least any wide receiver. And then he showed a little life last year, and now he's at the top of his depth chart. Yeah, he's not your ideal number one receiver. I don't. He's not what he was early in his career when he was explosive and he could make big plays. He has about two or three – He had, I think he had two or three really good games last year and then wasn't much of an asset for the other 12 or 13. So I, 
he's not a guy that you're like, all right, we're lining up Kenny Britt. That's an advantage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they have a new offensive coordinator and Frank Signetti. They have um, Officer Signetti. Uh, exactly. They have Frank uh, Signetti. Nick Private Foles. Eye. I, I love that. Nick Foles, <laughs> Todd Gurley. I mean, all of the they brought in how many offensive linemen? And all of these pieces have to fit together and build some type of chemistry for the season. You have to wonder about that. Now, obviously, their defense is improved, and their defense was great last year. But, it's I mean, if they're going to win games, it's going to be running the ball, and it's going to be really low-scoring wins. The offense, I think, could be one of the worst in the NFL. Whoa. I mean, look at the right side of their offensive line. You've got a rookie right tackle, a rookie right guard, a first-time center who has really not shown well. That's three three pieces of your offensive line who could be well below average. Your receivers as a whole are among the worst in the NFL. You know, Gurley's coming back from an ACL, so who knows what he'll be in September and October. And Nick Foles, to me, is a bottom 10 NFL quarterback. Hmm. I mean, there's, the defense is very promising. What a great front line that is. But to me, and I, when we did one of our exercises post-draft, I thought that um, that, you know, Todd Gurley could be, if he's healthy, guy that gets the ball a lot and can put up a big season as a rookie. They need that. They need somebody behind that in that backfield to have a big season. They need the defense to be a top five defense. And then it would, to me, it would be crazy for them to win ten games if those things happen. But Foles also has to be closer to the guy he was his first year with the Eagles as a, a starter, as opposed to that second where he was really shaky. But now he he's down. got Frank Signetti and not Chip Kelly. When your case goes cold, call <laughs> Detective Frank Signetti. They're going 7-9. and nine. It's what they do. Is Nick Foles an upgrade over a healthy Sam Bradford? I tend to doubt it. A wash, maybe? Yeah. Doesn't really do anything for me. No. Nah. They're both ham and eggers, to quote Bobby Cur- the Brain Heenan. Curtain jerkers. Curtain jerkers. <laughs> Tomato cans. Uh, all right, so that is our um, our look at the NFC West projected Starters, Colleen has to get back to, uh, you know, NFL now. She's so in demand within. Oh, the, yeah. And we call it the campus here at NFL Media. We do. Yeah. I have Charlie well, casually waiting over there. Ah, right, see? You got to get back here, Colleen. <laughs> Be a pro. <laughs> Be a pro, see? <laughs> but before we, before we let you go, uh, we gotta, let's talk a little music because, yes, as I said, Noel Gallagher, the, um, the erstwhile frontman or uh, songwriter, of Oasis, uh, Mark. Sad I missed this one. Yeah, Mark and uh, and Handsome Hank got us in. Handsome Hank has connections to the to the Gallagher family. Of course, Who knew? Yeah. Uh, so thank you to Hank for that. Uh, so we decided, why don't we go down memory lane and uh, talk about our first concert experiences before we get out of here today? And uh, this is when TD <laughs> needs to earn the money. That was TD's first concert. <laughs> TD earning the money right now. This is kind of rave is that? I don't know what what was that TD? What was going on? Like there? I said, guys, it's top of the show, completely mailing it in, I'm ready for Memorial <laughs> wow. Day weekend. No, wow, I like um, that he's honest. Just a little hiccup there, but should be ready to go in here in a second. All right, good. So why don't we all, you know, share our first concert experiences? I thought that'd be fun to talk about it, and maybe we'll get Connor Orr on the phone. Um, uh, and if you're wondering, I haven't brought up Kevin Patra. I, I talked to Kevin before the show. Uh, I said, Kev, do you want to be involved with the pod? Like, what was your first concert experience? And uh, he said that he had, you know, no concert experience. He's not a music fan. I don't know if I trust him anymore. Mm. Patrick and I have talked about this, and it's been shocking that he just basically has no feel for music whatsoever. He doesn't even – it's not part of his life. 
I think we talked about it at the draft, actually. Yeah, this yeah. all is coming back now. His exact quote in the instant message conversation when I said anything about music, and he said, nothing of note. Nothing of note. note oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so why don't we start? I guess I'll start. Why not? And uh, technically, my first concert was August 87, uh, Monkeys, the Monkeys and Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> what? Yeah, no. My, my sister was a Monkeys fan because they – Last train to Clarksville? Yeah, they started uh, – Showing reruns on Nick at Night and got like a second life amongst like kids and teens in the eighties. Weird story. And I was dragged to that. I was a kid, but my first real concert that I was I paid for and all that. Got to go to ninety six, a Beacon Theater in Manhattan. Great band out of San Francisco. County Crow. Oh, I love them. With opening uh, with the opening act of Cake. So it was a real nice one two nineties punch with. You know, seeing Adam Duritz moping on stage. I think he was dating Courtney Cox at the time. So, was, Or Jennifer Aniston. Or Aniston. It was in a good One time. Has any frontman ever had a better career year than Adam Duritz's? He he had a nice run there in the mid-90s, both as a musician and as a Lothario. I still love the Counting Crows. I still listen to them. This well, is my second concert ever. Really? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we'll get it to that. It was them and live. <laughs> I, I was at that tour. <laughs> I've been to multiple Counting Crows tours. <laughs> I am uh, not ashamed to admit. Now, Chris Wessling, uh, as we know, famously, Wes, a little older, uh, has <laughs> tastes that are a little famous for being a little older, a little, you know, a little more vintage when it comes to his taste. <laughs> He's a little more of a, uh, you know, classic type dude. So, Wes, your first uh, concert experience? Well, I love music. I'm a huge music you buff, are, but I that. hate concerts. I don't like masses of humanity. Just putting their BO and other bodily things on you and just being generally <laughs> what annoying. What other I don't like concerts you? with okay. a lot of people and the music's never as good as it sounds in the studio. So to me, concerts, I love going to a bar and listening. So my first concert ever was at a bar down the street from the, basically like a five minute walk from where I grew up. It was called the Blue Note, a very smoky bar. And it was a band from Australia called the Little River Band. Mm. They had a bunch of top 10 hits. Including this. The Albatross and the Whales, they are my brother. Yeah, cool chain. By the way, when I was doing the uh, pre-production work before uh, the show, uh, the YouTube video of this is just a bunch of dolphins, dolphins jumping through the air. Uh, I can't, I Some can't wait to check it. that out. Yeah. Uh, actually, at this concert, the guitar player from the band Player, which had the song Baby Come Back. Yep. Any kind of fool could. I don't know. But I was wrong. <laughs> Actually, it was redone as a parody song, Cuddy Comeback, by a Bears fan a few years ago about Jay Cutler. Oh. But anyway, they played that song, too. Also a huge hit in the late 70s, early 80s. The name of the band again? Little River Band. All right. TD, by the way, just does TD know, do you, have you heard of the Counting Crows? <laughs> yes. Counting Crows, yes. Have you heard of Wes's band? No idea. No, I knew Never he would not hear of them, yeah. All right. Colleen, your turn. Charlie Casserly right now, looking at his pocket watch. I know, angry. I know, I know. So let's get, you might have to actually pull a Greg and leave the studio, but we need to hear okay. your first concert experience. You said the Counting Crows are your second experience. Yes. Yeah, Counting Crows Live 2002. Oh, I remember so that one good. well. Yes, and there was like a lot of uh, Dave Matthews bands sprinkled yep. throughout there, but my first ever concert was 2000. And I was way too young to be going to a concert. I didn't even really. <laughs> let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, so it was Jimmy Buffett. Wow. Right. Ooh. So in beautiful right Camden, New Jersey. House. Yeah. So uh, Camden as uh, like a 15 year old, that probably wasn't the greatest. But who doesn't love 
little Jimmy Buffett in the summer when you're sitting outside by the pool or whatever. I mean, uh, it's not I get bad. It. I never understood the appeal personally, but not not in a snooty way. But I get that he really connects with a strangely high number of people. Like Cincinnati is his hotbed. Like he really? would do four or five concerts a summer in Cincinnati. That he would do more concerts there than anybody. And I think it's because it's so landlocked and they don't get to have any fun. Yeah. So that's like they're living through Jimmy Buffett. Hmm. You know the song like uh, she came down from Cincinnati. Probably. Well, that's how Finn's, I believe Finn's to the right, Finn's to the left. That song yeah. opens with that line. He did as a tribute to the city that, there's, you know. There's a lot of, like, pageantry involved, too, with everybody that goes, the parrot oh, heads. Oh, yeah. Oh, they get all dressed. Oh, the yeah. parrot heads, that's right. Huh? So, so far, by the way, the cool quotient, not through the roof. <laughs> no. You know, nobody <laughs> saw Velvet Underground. <laughs> you know, nobody was. I like Velvet Underground. You know, nobody saw the first Nirvana show at, you know. Uh, some little club in Hoboken. I know. Well, we are. I think we take pride in being a little anti-hipster. Well, you know, I like. We we both like hipster music too, but at the same time, no, so I far mean, a little mainstream. We don't have to claim to be the first one to see Velvet gotcha. Underground. You know. How about uh, how about Connor Orr? We'll get him on the line because, uh, and Colleen, if you have to go, you got to go. Okay. But stick around, walk out whenever you want. All right. We will judge you. Connor Orr on the line. Are you there, buddy? What's going on? Hey, there he is from his haunted mansion. In suburban New Jersey, it is Connor Orr. Uh, how's things going in the old haunted house? It's pretty good. I mean, the summer months, usually the hauntings kind of, you know, the ghosts need time off too. So it's nice. It's a little bit of a time to get your equilibrium back, I would think your you know? your psyche and your emotional well-being also, it's good not to have spirits wandering through your, uh, you know, library and such. Um, Absolutely. Just turning the voices off in your head for a little bit. Uh, I... I felt like you would be a good person to ask your first concert experience. So far, uh, we have the Little River Band, uh, Wes, County Crows, Dan, Jimmy Buffett, Colleen. Give me something edgy. Give me like you saw the Strokes on the Lower East Side right when <laughs> Is This It came out in 2001. <laughs> Give it to me. Yeah, it was me and Julian Casablancas, and we were sharing a camel light and uh, just kind of <laughs> opining on Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, no, uh, it was... Uh, Oh, it was the Dave Matthews band. Oh, oh man. You know, I was right? worried they were going to come awful. up. How did you we're enjoy the worst. Your, How did you uh, enjoy your sorority, Connor? <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I'm leaving. Goodbye. Yeah, that's not, you just sent Colleen back. You know, uh, yeah, what is hazing like? Is it? Do you feel any humanity? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. At least it was like... I'm not going to defend it, but, uh, you know, it, it, was a, it was a time in my life. You know, it's just it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a certain thing that happened, you know. Yeah, there was, I, as somebody that went to college in the early 2000s, there was a rule that every girl, uh, it seemed at least, had to have that one Dave Matthews poster where he was, <laughs> it was like, I think it was black and white. It was just him standing on a stage. Colleen's nodding her head as she walks out of the studio. <laughs> Thank you, Colleen, for Thanks, joining Colleen. us. She's off to do now. Always great to have the great wolf woman. Give us a wolf uh, sound effect. Um, uh, yeah, everyone had that, Wes. Like, it was a picture <laughs> of Dave just chilling on a stage, and it was like I would go basic. to I would go to parties at colleges like Bowling Green in Ohio, and girls would have posters of Brady Anderson with no shirt <laughs> on. Oh, God, that's terrible. <laughs> um, what year was the, the DMB concert? Uh, I think that was like 2003. Three or 2004, <laughs> somewhere in that. Uh, so really at the height of, you know, like yeah, every teak house in the country was mm. playing like the, the new post 9-11 album that had just come out. And like, you know, oh, it was just... It, it, it peaked was, commercially already by that point, but you were still in. 
Oh yeah. I, I mean, at, at that point I was, you know, I thought that was it. I right. was like, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is great, but you know, it wasn't the best concert I've ever seen. All right. We'll keep you on. We're going to keep you on the line, Connor. Cause finally, uh, TD decided to, to chime in. He said earlier in the podcast, that it wasn't just that he wanted to take part, he wanted to win. Uh, so, TD, you will now share your first concert experience. I feel like I'm definitely going to win with uh, our audience, the millennials, as you guys would call them. Um, for me, I'm with Wes. I am not a fan of crowds. I do not like to go in places where a lot of people, it just gets annoying. So my first concert experience, I actually didn't go to a concert. The concert came to me in college. Lupe Fiasco came to perform on the campus. And oh, Lupe was my guy. Okay, you know, Lupe's first couple of, first couple of albums, especially the Cool. I studied that album like a book. Probably I should have been studying my college books, but Lupe was my guy. So this this concert on our campus, pretty much right next to my uh, apartment, was uh, that's pretty was cool. It. And Lupe Fiasco also one of Kanye's best singles, "Touch the Sky." He yep. sings the hook in that, doesn't he? Yeah, he's on there, man. Yeah, so that's a good one. That is probably the coolest one. You did win. I'll give you the win. Yeah. Congratulations. Hey, thanks, guys. You win. I've just done the report card of this podcast, and you won the podcast. Well, actually, <laughs> to, to, like I said, I'm mailing it in today, guys. So yeah, I have no fun. real reason for the podcast MVP. <laughs> I was just going to go with best dress, and the best dress really just left the room. So by default, Chris Wesley. Okay. <laughs> he is. He's way better dressed than I am. Definitely. Um, all right, good. So there you have it. And, you know, people point, oh, I talk about football. We can mix it up. It's May. You know, we can talk a little. You know, music or whatever. Why not? Uh, Greg's going to probably send me an email. We Won't be happy pride ourselves on being a little more well-rounded. I mean, you don't want to be. just be. Connor and I were discussing this on Slack the other day. You know, fans are ripping on him for he's got the wrong outside line, inside linebacker for the Packers on his projected starter series. <laughs> I told him he should answer every tweet with, take your sweetheart for a stroll this evening. It's it's May, mid-May. Give up it's on football a, for a it's minute. It's not even the wrong outside linebacker. It's just somebody's opinion on who it should be. And it's like, you know what? It's, uh, it's yeah. beautiful outside. Yeah, it's a beautiful life. Right now. You yeah. know, it's a wonderful time to be alive. So, let, but, but let's do We'll talk a little more football before we get out of here because we do need to touch on uh, Wes's excellent long-form piece. And I say this uh, completely educated on the matter because I read it. It is uh, titled The Ohio River Offense. Uh, it is about, uh, Wes, uh, I'll throw it to you, but it is, a, in, in essence, you dig into the roots of what most people remember or see is, or how it's known, the West Coast offense really had its roots in your home state. Well, Bill Walsh was the offensive coordinator in Cincinnati in 1968 when the Bengals were an expansion team, and Paul Brown was the head coach. They had a quarterback named Greg Cook who, if you believe Bill Walsh and Sam Weish and the people who played for the Bengals and people around the league, could have been the best quarterback in NFL history and was probably the most gifted quarterback of the era. People believe he was more gifted than Joe Namath. So, Greg And a handsome man to boot. Handsome man could have been, I think a lot of people said, could have been the Marlboro man. Mm. But um, So Greg Cook suffers a torn rotator, rotator cuff. In his rookie season, and to me, he had the best rookie season in NFL history for a quarterback. A lot of his records still stand for yards per attempt, yards per completion, etc. Tears his rotator cuff, really only throws three passes again the rest of his career, and that came four years later. So that was the impetus for the change to the West Coast offense. They brought in a guy named Virgil Carter who had no arm. So Bill Walsh and Paul Brown decided to do a rollout offense where it would be really short passes, precision passes, an extension to the running game, 
and this is what the West Coast offense became under Bill Walsh, but it all started in Cincinnati. And Bill Belichick, among other people, has said it should be called the Ohio River offense, not the West Coast offense. In fact, the first time it ever is called the West Coast offense is 1985, late 85, Bill Parcells, who was an adherent of power football, smash mouth, you need big guys, made fun of Bill Walsh after the game and said, how do you like your West Coast offense now? Right. Um, And then the name kind of stuck. And Bill Walsh kind of always bristled at the name. He thought it was lazy. Um, Most West Coast offenses coaches think it's lazy. So, And then Sam Weiss, who was Greg Cook's backup, ends up being an assistant coach under Bill Walsh. And he becomes the Bengals head coach in in the early 80s and starts the no-huddle offense, which is now the offense that most of the NFL uses. And at the time, he was criticized. Uh, He had to fight for it. Marv Levy, before the 88 championship game, went to the commissioner and said, basically, I'm going to fake injuries. So Pete Rozelle, the commissioner at the time, told Sam Weiss he couldn't use it. Weiss had to fight for it. He finally got to use it. Two or three years later, Marv Marv Levy and Jim Kelly are using the K-gun, no-huddle, and they get more credit now than Sam White. It's wild. Which is crazy. Totally. Not only did Levy try to affect the, the, the game, the, the integrity of the game in one of the biggest games of the season, he then basically gets the credit for the offense he was trying to stop uh, by faking injuries, having his players fake injuries. It's a wild thought. And, and, and believe me, a, a teenage Chris Wessling was not a big fan of Marv Levy at the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't imagine you would be. And just the, the idea that Walsh gets all this credit – uh, which he deserves, obviously, for being the architect of the uh, West Coast offense or the Ohio River offense. And then you get Marv Levy, who gets all the credit on the back end for the, the Noah Huddle K-Gun attack. But then there's poor Sam Weish, who really is forgotten, now coaching as a in high school. And uh, you had a great – I thought you ended the piece in a, in a really excellent way, which, again, proves that I read it. Um, <laughs> you know, to Victor go the spoils. So he gets because they fell short in two Super Bowls against the Niners. And it's uh, really their own their own fault. I mean, that's yeah. part of the pathos of the piece that the Bengals don't have this reputation as so innovative, even though they were, because Paul Brown in 1976 walks away, leaves the sidelines, and becomes an owner. He already was the owner, but he decides to give up coaching. And Bill Walsh was obviously the most talented coach on his staff, but he didn't think Bill Walsh was tough enough. So he named Bill Tiger Johnson his successor. Walsh knew then that he would be typecast as an an assistant if he didn't leave. So Walsh leaves, ends up in San Francisco, and beats the Bengals in both of their Super Bowls. And the Bengals have only themselves to blame for that. Uh, Connor, your thoughts? I think it's like, you know, it makes me think today then, you know, how – how we're going to, like, if if that era is going to at least force us to think deeper about the innovators today and, and have, like, 20 years down the road, who's going to be kind of screwed out of credit for something mm. that they came up with right now? You know, not to open a whole other can of worms, but I feel like there are probably a lot of, you know, weishes out there right now. Oh, absolutely. And you're you're absolutely right. And I think, to me, one of the reasons I wrote the piece is because, well, for two reasons – in 1968-69, Cincinnati was about to hit a golden age. The Bengals had back-to-back rookies of the year on offense. They had the reigning defensive rookie of the year. They had the coach of the year. They're moving into a new stadium in 1970 along with the Reds. The Reds are hosting the All-Star game in 1970. They go on to have the big red machine and dominate the 1970s. Late 70s, WKRP in Cincinnati hits the airwaves, dominates TV for a while. It's supposed to be Cincinnati's golden age, and they never have it because Greg Cook gets injured. Paul Brown doesn't appreciate Bill Walsh. So that's one reason. And the other reason is that Sam Weiss is one of the best innovators in NFL history and is not seen that way. 
Mm. Very interesting. So, yeah, you, you really got to check this out. NFL.com slash Ohio River Offense, a long form from Wes. And whether Wes wants to or not, he's made his own bed now because I think we're going to see more of these long form pieces from Wes. <laughs> and if you had any hair, it would fall out, I would imagine. Shadowy League figure called me over this morning. I was about to head to NFL now, so I was just trying to have like a 30-second conversation. And, and he said, um, hey, do you want to do those once a month? And I said no. <laughs> I thought he was joking. You pulled two like back to back all nighters, right? Yeah, I thought he was joking, and I pointed out. I said, "No, I I put myself through hell to write it." And he said, "Well, I think it's going to be on your plate now, whether you want it or not." <laughs> and that's why he's your podcast MVP, right there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Wes wins uh, the farcical MVP honors for today's show. All right, that's it, uh, Connor. Thanks, Connor, th- thank you for calling in, buddy. Anytime to be the ghost presence of the podcast. I love this. <laughs> All right. Dan, Dan Hans is signing off for Colleen Wolf. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Colleen, great job. And the great Chris Wessling and TD behind the glass. Until next week. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.